episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout and sass. I am bringing you another episode today with a physician colleague, Dr. Maggie Kang. She's a board certified radiologist. She trained at Yale. She's got two kiddos for which one of them we're going to talk a little bit about it today. She's bringing a phenomenal story about when her daughter was diagnosed with a rare neurological disease and she saw it on the brain MRI as a radiologist first. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit more. She's going to share a story and we're going to get into this concept of pain versus suffering, which I'm super excited. So here we go. Stay with us. with me today. Hey, Erin. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Okay. For the people on podcasting world, tell them a little bit about yourself and the magic you are putting into the world. (laughs) Okay. So as you said, I'm physician mom, radiologist, mom of two. And I guess the story that we're probably going to focus on is about my daughter, Nell, when she was diagnosed with her rare disease at age nine, which is called neuromyelitis optica, often referred to as NMO. And that was probably the moment where my life completely changed. Like you said, when I saw her brain MRI, we were in the emergency room for her nausea and dizziness, which really just seemed so nonspecific. I, I was not prepared for what I saw in that brain MRI. And it was very abnormal. And I don't really know how else to describe that moment except just a moment of terror, horror. I mean, it honestly felt like apocalyptic devastation. My world just crumbled. And of course, you know, in that moment, this is sort of a unique experience, I think, of moms is that you're completely terrified and scared and shaking. But then you see your kid coming out and you have to be calm and put a smile on your face and tell them it's going to be okay. And so from that moment on, it was really trying to get her out of the ICU and pray that she survived her first admission and her first sort of, I guess, attack, as people often refer to it, the inflammatory episode of neuromyelitis optica. And after that, I ended up finding coaching and became certified. And now I help a lot of moms in the rare and chronic disease communities manage that life transition, which I guess also brought me to the TEDx talk. And there I described the difference between pain and suffering. And incidentally, my daughter also wrote a book about her experience, which is called My Hospital Story. I love that. Back me up. This is the nerdy family medicine doc in me. Like what was the prodrome like leading up to this had she been a normal healthy kid was she kind of like sickly tell me more she was the most robustly healthy kid you could possibly imagine she didn't miss a day of school she was never on antibiotics she was rarely sick and she was a competitive lacrosse player and rarely fatigued out on that field which is very different from the person she is now after her autoimmune diagnosis yeah. And, and so was it just, did this come on suddenly? Okay. So we kind of, we were at, we were actually in Colorado skiing. We were having a family vacation and it was the winter. We came back and she developed this nausea and dizziness I was talking about before. And I thought, well, this is 
just generally nonspecific. She seemed fatigued and we took her to see, you know, pediatrician, we went to urgent care and I think people were just thinking it was a virus and kind of loaded her up with fluids, but she was not perking up and things were sort of trending negatively. She got more tired. She was more nauseous and she didn't want to eat. So I took her to the emergency room one night and lo and behold, it was not a virus. It was something. Was it your hospital? Like, is that how you got to see the films? Oh, no, actually, by the time that Nell was born, I was doing teleradiology. So it was not the hospital that I worked at. But at the same time, I I know a couple of radiologists in our community, and thankfully, he was on call in the ER that night. So as you probably know, it can be difficult to get an MRI in the ER, but we were able to finagle that because of him, and he put her on the schedule. She got imaged at like midnight, and we were I was up there reviewing the films with him at 2 a.m. It was such an intense night. Yeah. What was that feeling when the MRI popped up and he started scrolling? Well, you know what? I actually was watching it come over from the scanner into the computer. He was in the reading room, but I was looking at the images on my own and I was horrified. I, it's just, I don't know how else to describe it. At first, I thought this has got to be a mistake. And I was looking around to see if there were other kids getting imaged or what was going on. Did they mislabel my kid's study? Who is this? But it was her. And I it just was... I, I think I, I didn't even feel my knees. I think I pressed up my body against the table to kind of prop me up. I, I remember feeling like I just could not keep myself up because something in me just gave out. And I kept scrolling through the images when they fully downloaded onto the computer. And it was, it was real. It was not artifactual. And I, 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 I was just in shock. Yeah. You know, so many times I felt like I have three little dragons of my own that when something does happen medical, because Lord knows it does, it's it's almost as if ignorance is bliss. <laughs> but like when you know, know what the fuck is going on, you're like, oh, shit. Yes. Yes. And I was actually always that mom that thought we're fine. Oh, that's nothing. It doesn't matter if you got fever. It's okay. Just get some rest. But uh, this time I was completely blown away. That was not the case. This was so abnormal and it was so, so scary. And the thing is when I'm at the radiology reading desk, I often see cases like this that come through and I think, wow, what is that parent going to think when they get that news? I just couldn't even imagine it. But that day I was that parent and I think it's really just indescribable, that feeling. Yeah. So many things at one time. Yes. It's like our lives were over. I felt like that. And I'm just going to have to rebuild. Right. And so from that day, I'm going to assume that she got admitted. And you said to the ICU. Thank you. Yes. And that was also because just um, a little bit about her disease. So it is autoimmune in nature and it affects the nerves. Um, and for her, it affected her brainstem and all the cranial nerves. So she had difficulty with speaking and swallowing. And for other people, it can also affect the optic nerves and can cause blindness. And for others, it can also affect the spinal cord, which obviously can cause paralysis, among many other things. We were just kind of deep brain involvement. And 
what brought her to the ICU was the fact that she wasn't able to clear her secretions and she started to aspirate and she yeah. developed pneumonias. And was that on this first admission when you yeah. got yeah, the diagnosis? Was- yes. Yes. And so walk us through a little bit more over the next couple of months. You got the diagnosis. You knew that she was struggling with like the the most innate parts of our body, you know, those swallow breathing, you know, yeah. all those kind of things. Walk us through that from the mom position that you were in at that time. Yeah. So I, th- I think the mom position I was in was also sort of a mom doctor position. So that was a unique challenge. So when she was first admitted to the ICU, obviously that was super scary because her symptoms started to progress very rapidly as soon as we were admitted. And so thank God we were in the hospital by then. So when she was in the ICU, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not they should intubate her. And I was completely freaking out because I knew that it would maybe be hard for her to come off because I could see her progressively getting weak. And all I could think about was she's not going to die in that ventilator. I just, we can't go there. And I just kept kind of fighting with them about it. And at that point, she was at our community hospital, which is fairly good. But we were thinking about transferring her to DC Children's. But at that point, she was not stable enough for transfer. So in my mind, I was thinking more along the doctor way. And my husband's also a physician, by the way. And so we were really kind of battling it out in the ICU. And as a mother, I was in so much pain seeing her go from her robustly healthy lacrosse self to basically losing 20 pounds by the time she was, you know, at at her midpoint in the ICU and just seeing somebody who was completely different than the girl that I knew coming into the hospital with. And so I felt like there was a lot of grief and pain and a feeling of loss and uncertainty about what is this going to mean for our future? Are we going to survive? Are we going to go back to school? Is she going to be able to have the life she once knew? There were so many things emotionally that were happening. And so it was that and dealing with the whole medical piece. And in those moments, of course, you know, because hindsight's twenty twenty. what did you really need? Like what, what could have really helped? Such a good question. <laughs> I, I think probably if I could have kind of stayed in my pain and I, what I ended up doing, and this is what I talked about in my TED talk and how I didn't accept my pain and I moved straight into creating suffering was that I started to blame myself and I, I started to rethink all the steps of when she first had her symptoms. What should I have done? Should I have maybe gotten her brain MRI at that time? Should I have brought her to the ER sooner? Like, what did I do wrong? And how could I, I should have been able to prevent this. And now how can I fix it? So I was, focusing in on sort of trying to control the situation and blaming and going into thoughts that were really not helpful to me. And I think if I kind of focused in on just kind of feeling into what was happening with Nell, and I guess, I mean, she wasn't fully conscious at, you know, during most of her ICU, but I guess during the times that she was, I could have really been beside her and just kind of felt her like what she was going through and kind of supported her emotionally. But I think I was so disconnected from my own emotions because they were just too painful 
that I shifted into the blame game. You know, it's so easy to see like the Instagram advice and the stuff that flies across our screen as we're scrolling, but like feeling the feelings is the harder step. It's easier to get busy to like go into doctor mode, to be problem solving, fixing, strategizing how we're going to do things. Yes. And I've seen that a lot, both within myself. I'm a, a recovering workaholic <laughs> that feelings suck. I mean, they do. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. And we get, we've gotten so good at compartmentalizing and putting them to the side and be like, I'll deal with that later. Right now we need to figure out what our transfer plan is or, you know, whatever that, that thing is at times and feeling the feels sitting with it and being like, wow, this is painful. You're right. It, it's like fully embracing our humanity and reminding ourselves we are humans and we do have to feel things. And, and right. I think I love that word that you said, like you disengaged And sometimes we have to do that because it's too much, you know, like it's just too much happening, but having those small little touch points to like check back in, talk a little more about pain versus suffering. Yes. So like you said, it can be hard to feel intense emotion and sometimes it's okay to not at the moment. So I, I just wanted to speak to that a little bit because I think that when we were in the hospital, I was in sort of survivor mode. And I just wanted to make sure that I could, you know, everything I could be doing to support Nell's medical condition was being done. But, you know, there, there came a point where my involvement was not helpful and I probably should have stepped back and to just kind of collect myself in my own emotions. Now, one of the reasons why I think I didn't want to go there is because I've never really been kind of an emotional feeler, if you will, because it has sort of in my mind been a waste of time sort of getting my way. Lady in medicine, we're weak. You know, (laughs) if you show emotions, you cry in front of a patient or, you know, any of that. Not supposed to get angry either when shit hits the fan. Yeah. Supposed to be this like emotionless, super robot demigod. Right, right. And I think I was just kind of going with that sort of, you know, habituated belief, right? But the truth about it is that I also wanted to avoid that pain because I didn't know that I could get myself out of it. That was the difference for me. I think that once I thought I let myself out into that black hole, I would be fully lost and maybe just become crazy. (laughs) Something along that line. That's what I was thinking. But the truth is when you actually accept and move through your pain, it does not last nearly as long as you think. And that's what I had discovered. And with the pain, I think in the coaching world, we talk about it as clean pain versus dirty pain. And that's analogous to pain versus suffering, like pain being part of the human experience and suffering being the part that we create. And not being part of the normal human experience. In my case here, loss and grief were definitely real pains that I eventually came to accept. Honestly, probably two years later when I fully accepted it. And when I got through it and sat with it, I came out on the other side and I I could see things differently. Like I felt like once I did process that pain, all, all sort of possibilities start to open up to me. And I could I could see that our lives were not 
over, <laughs> that things are not all gloom and doom. And that I, in my TED talk, I talk about these micro moments I started to notice, which were probably already happening around me, but I just noticed it at that time when I finally kind of woke up from, you know, feeling the pain, I guess, if you, you know, once you sort of process it. And when I saw her laugh and interact with her brother, and I found that we had downtime as a family, those are all things I started to appreciate. And those moments became you know, I, uh, a lifeboat for my new reality, uh, my new narrative that I created. So I think that the difference between the pain and suffering is that pain is part of the human experience and you accept it and process it and you can move on. Whereas the suffering can be infinite. You can stay in suffering and avoid and resist. You could blame, you might busy yourself, which is probably what I did. You could try to control things or you could maybe eat your emotions away or get involved in other sort of things like social media. But that suffering could be unending. And that's the part that I didn't fully understand. And so when I discovered the difference and that I had agency in choosing my pain versus suffering, I chose the path of pain. And that was has made all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. One of my very best friends, Dr. Robin Alley Hay, introduced me to this Buddhist thought of pain versus suffering. And it's been one of those, it has been very interesting in the last several years of my own life, just even acknowledging pain rather than being like turning a blind eye to it. Yes. One of the things that I tell myself is like, this is a moment of suck. That, that acknowledgement of it. Yes, it's so true. Yes. And it's funny because I talk, and just circling back to the whole Buddhist idea, I, I do believe that the origins of that quote that I put in my TEDx talk did originate in Buddhist philosophy because the author was Haruki Murakami, who wrote this book, but his father was a Buddhist. So agreed. That's where it came from if you want to learn more about it. Now, in terms of I've, now I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no worries. It happens to all of us. But that I think we were going to talk about the acknowledgement of pain. Yes. Like, and that like we don't have to wallow in it because, again, that is adding to suffering. But just but yeah, but literally just saying I love the work of Kristen Neff. She also talks about this in self-compassion work that like the first step we have to do so that we can give ourselves self-compassion is to recognize like, wow, this is hard. Yes. Yes. And I think what I was going to say before is that the whole idea of pain and suffering, although I put it in a very extreme example in my TEDx talk and our conversation right now about my daughter, it actually comes up every day in small ways, really. Like if, so when I picked up my daughter after we enrolled her in school, she was going for part-time school. I would pick her up some days and she would look terrible when I picked her up from the bus stop. And I remember thinking I would go straight to kind of blaming myself for sending her to school that day. Maybe I should have kept her home. Did we start school too early? It was all of that same type of thinking. Whereas maybe I could have just said, oh, I'm just so sad that she still struggles with fatigue and that she isn't you know, as robustly healthy as she was once before. And she is on immunosuppressant medication and just kind of feel into the sad and loss of that, the difference of what has happened in our lives. Because I think that would have helped me kind of move out of that more quickly. And and the other flip side of that is also 
it impacts my relationship with my daughter. If I think that way, she's going to pick up on that. And so it's really kind of a lose-lose in that way. I feel bad. Then she feels bad. Our relationship suffers versus if I just kind of acknowledge the pain and say, oh yeah, I'm so sad that I pick her up and this is what she looks like. But you know, that would help me move to the place of, but she's going to school now. We are not in the hospital and things are actually moving in the right direction. One of my recent examples is, I don't know what my brain has been, but it's not been in the right place. I scheduled a day off to go with the kids. Their school is taking them to a local like water park, amusement park called Holiday World. And I took off this week, Thursday, and they're going on Wednesday. And so (laughs) I told my daughter last night, like, I'm so sorry, mommy canceled the wrong day of clinic. And she cried for 40 minutes. And like, at first, I'm like, you just need to go to your room. And then I recognized, like you said, like, I pushed her away because it hurt me. So I said, let's go lay in my bed and we'll just hug and be sad. together." Did you really? That's awesome. I mean, I like I said, I sent her to her room first. <laughs> and then I recognized, like, okay, we're both struggling here right now. Because it does. Like, when we push people away, when we over-busy, when we numb, when whatever coping strategy that we think or unconsciously use, it it impairs those relationships in our lives. It, it, it inadvertently hurts other people or drives a wedge between us with other people. Another example I can think of recently that has been like pain versus suffering is seeing my kids grow up and like, we're doing a whole like clean out, get rid of old toys, broken things, random trash in their room. Like, why did we keep all this? And like, there has been some, some pain as we sort toys of, Not so much like the toy, but like the memories and thoughts behind it and being like, oh, they don't read this board book anymore because they're in chapter books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like with with clutter. And I think Marie Kondo talks about it like it's never really about the item. It's about like everything around it and how we like attach with that. And I think that's why at times we lead cluttered lives. Because it's easier to just shove something in a box and put it in the closet than to like sit with the emotion of my kids are growing up and they don't need this board book anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so true. You, you know, I have two examples. One is sort of a day-to-day benign one. And another one I'll tell you is similar to the rare disease concept. Um, first, quickly, when my kids come home and they say, oh, I studied really hard for this test and it didn't go the way that they wanted you know, there, there's the pain of, wow, I'm disappointed that this wasn't the result that I had hoped for versus the suffering of, I am so stupid. I cannot do that. What is wrong with me? I'm, I'm never going to be good at this. And that person's always going to be better than me. And what does that mean about myself? So that's a very clear difference between pain and suffering. And obviously the pain piece, if you can acknowledge that you're disappointed, you could move through that and fairly quickly move to, well, how am I going to do better next time? What can I, how can I set myself up for success next time? So it's just this clarity of vision of your situation. Now, when it's a little bit more emotionally charged, like in the rare disease community, where I'm kind of engaging with a lot of moms in the Facebook groups, there's a lot of the same type of thing that I just shared where, oh, 
you know, my kid was diagnosed with this disease when he was four and now he's 10 or 12. And now he's realizing all of what's happening. And, you know, when he interacts with his friends, his life is not the same. And so how do I help him kind of adjust to that? And so the mom is thinking about, well, did I not tell him soon enough because I kept all this information from him earlier? I did something wrong. And that kind of thinking. So I, what I sometimes share in the Facebook groups is that it's, I think the first thing that we need to think about is our own sort of grief and our own loss about it, because it's true. Your child is realizing that there is this loss. And I I think we have to process that first and show them that it's going to be okay to process that. As you're talking, it feels like grief feels like sitting down and being still and suffering feels like a spiral where you're just like going, yes. going, 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 like just total different energy with it. Oh, it's such different energy. Like it's frenetic. It's sort of out of control. It's it does not feel good. <laughs> and it does seem unending as if, yeah, you are in sort of this tornado or cyclone. Yeah, absolutely. For people listening out in podcasting world, any final thoughts or anything you want to leave them with? Yes. I think that everything in life is in constant change mode and you can't obviously control the things that come into your life and what happens, but you can't focus on how you respond to it. And I think that kind of lens of pain versus suffering is a good one to keep in your back pocket for when things come your way, you're not quite sure how to respond. I think you mentioned before, just kind of sitting and taking a pause really helps because there's a difference between reacting versus responding. Yeah, absolutely. If there's another doctor mom out there or, or healthcare mom, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you if they too are, are dealing with like an issue that you had with your daughter now? Oh, they can find me on my website www.maggiekangkang.com. And if you want to get the freebie, when I talk about, I, I have a PDF that tells you the first step in creating your narrative. That's kind of what I talk about after something happens. If you don't like the situation you're in and you want to create a new narrative of your life, how you can get started on that. And if you want that, it's maggiekangmd.com forward slash freebie. Love it. Maggie, thanks so much for coming and opening up your heart and your life and sharing all of this. And I just have to say the badass in me totally honors the badass in you. Thank you. So honored to be here. Hey, friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. 
you're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails. But you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Check.